Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Well, how many have heard the phrase, one step forward and two steps back? Anybody ever experienced that in your life before? <laughs> you, you, you've taken a couple steps forward, and then it seems like things are going good, and then all of a sudden something comes up, something happens, and you just feel like all that progress you make, it's like, oh man, I'm just moving backwards here, and uh, in that way, one step forward, two steps back. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, as we take a look at the book of Nehemiah today, we're going we're gonna to actually take two chapters today, Nehemiah chapter 3 and Nehemiah chapter 4. Everybody take a deep breath. I'm not going to read through all of that. Nehemiah chapter 3 has a lot of uh, repetition, different names, but a lot of repetition to it. So we're going to take that as kind of a a whole, and then we're going to take a look at at chapter 4. And the reason we're going to do that is because similar to one step forward and two steps back, Nehemiah, as you might remember, was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Uh, He was uh, a a native uh, to uh, Israel and Jerusalem. His family was there. They were taken into captivity. And and, uh, Nehemiah rose to a place where he was second in command. well, not really second in command. He was the cupbearer to the king, but he had a lot of influence and an advisor to the king. But still, his heart was for people and his ancestors. And one day, his brother showed up to tell him, hey, the, 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 the exiles went back, but the, the city is still in disarray. The walls are broken down, and the gates have been burned with fire. And if you, if you were with us, then you know what that means. You know that the city's protection was gone. And oftentimes, the city walls and the protection of the city represented the city's strength and power and also was tied to the strength and power of their God. So not only were they experiencing brokenness, and not only was every day a reminder that they had turned away from God, that God's judgment had come upon them, and as a result of that, the walls were broken down, the gates were burned with fire, things had just fallen apart, and they weren't getting any better. And so Nehemiah's heart was struck by that. He began to pray into that, and God opened up an opportunity for him to go back and rebuild. And last week, we we talked a little bit about how uh, when Nehemiah got there, he didn't just really start right into the work. He began to inspect. He personally inspected the wall. So he had heard about some things that had happened, but before he got started with anything, he wanted to say, you know what, I need to inspect some things. And we said, you know, that's a good idea. Whenever God is wanting to do something in our lives, maybe some things in our world have fallen apart, some things in our lives have fallen apart, maybe our marriage or our home or something, it's always good to say, you know what, let me take a deep look and see what, what, where's the brokenness at? Where do I need healing at? What, what needs to take place? Where do we need to go and take, take a part of inspection? And then Nehemiah rallied some people together in cooperation and inspiration and inspired them. And they said, let's rebuild. And they were determined to rebuild the wall. Well, today in Nehemiah chapter 3, we're going to see that they get started in that rebuilding process. But no sooner did they get started in the rebuilding process and they get into it that all of a sudden opposition and discouragement starts to set in. And so today, we're going to talk a little bit about this idea of opposition and discouragement. And we're going to look at what it takes to get started. And then we're going to look at what it takes to continue going when we begin to experience the difficulty in our lives. Now, how many of you made New Year's resolutions? 
Not a whole lot of you. Some of you are saying, I'm over that. I've done that before and it didn't work. Yeah, if you make New Year's resolution, stats say that about this time you've already quit. Most people who make New Year's resolutions by this time in January have already quit. They've taken a couple steps forward. They were excited out the gate. And we're going to do that. Maybe I'm going to get my devotional life right this year. And so I'm jumping in a reading plan. How many of you jumped in a reading plan? This year, you said, I jumped in a reading plan. How many of you are on track with your reading plan? Yeah, and there are others of you that go, yeah, I missed a few days here and there. I don't know if I can do that, right? I know. How many of you said, I'm going to get healthy this year. I'm going to go exercise. I'm starting a new exercise routine, a new diet. I'm going back to the gym. And by this point in time, how many times have you missed? And you're like, eh, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> Weight Watchers just ain't working for me. I'm watching my weight go up, 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 up. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I, you know, I mean, there are just different steps that we take. There are things that we take, certain decisions that we make, certain things, and we go, we're going to get into it, and we get it going, and then, oh, we... We step back a little bit. Well, that's what we see here in, in, in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 3 starts out with them starting the work, and they get into it. And so we're going to talk about that. I call that advancement. So I'm calling this message Advancement in Opposition. Because whenever you start into something, whenever you're into something and you're picking up the pieces to something and you're starting a process of rebuilding, you're going to get started, but then opposition is going to come. And so you have advancement and you have opposition. And so we see that the walls were in disrepair, the gates were burned with fire, the city was in place of reproach, and, uh, and it just seemed like they were standing and there, were just, there, was just a, there was a lot of rubble when they were getting started. And maybe that's where you're at today. Uh, maybe in your life as you look, maybe there are certain things in your life, in your home, in your family where you just look around and man, there are some things that are just a mess. There are some pieces that are just broken. There are parts, there are areas that just need rebuilt. And, and so you're wanting to get started. How do we, how do we get started? What, what's the place? Where do we go? How do we get started? What are some things we can learn from Nehemiah chapter three with getting started? And uh, again, without a lengthy explanation, Nehemiah and the people, they get, they get organized and they begin rebuilding. And we mentioned two key issues last week to getting started, which were cooperation and determination. And we're going to see those within chapters three and four. So let's, let's look there right now. Let's get into the because that's the most important thing. Nehemiah chapter 3. So you can follow along. If you have the Church Center app, you can go to the More tab. There's sermon notes there. And you can follow along on the sermon notes right on the app. It's going to be on the PowerPoint as well. Or if you've got a copy of God's Word on your phone or you brought it with you today, turn to Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. We're going to kick it off in verse 1. And I'm only going to read the first four verses. And as I do, you're going to find out why. Eliashib, the high priest and his fellow priests, went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hanel, Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. Then they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. And Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. And next to him, Meshushalem, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezebel, made repairs next to him. And Zadok, the son of Bena, also made repairs. And I'm not going to read any more because those names are just really hard to pronounce. <laughs> 
But in the spirit, what we see here is the spirit of teamwork. And as we talked about last week, and this is a bit of review, but we see it throughout, is that in order to really have this rebuilding effort, in order for a rebuilding effort to really be successful, it takes teamwork, it takes cooperation, and it takes everyone doing their part. Each person, each family, each tribe, they all took their place in rebuilding the wall of the temple. In fact, a phrase in chapter 3 that is repeated over and over and over again is, and next to them, and next to him, and next to them, and next to him, and next to him, and next to him. Side by side, everybody said, I'm going to own this section of the rebuilding process. All at once, it looked overwhelming. All at once, it was a huge job. But it was successful, and they began to see an advance in what they were doing because everybody was willing to do their part. Notice Eliashib kicks it off. He's the high priest. The leadership kicked it off. He said, you know what? I'm going to start. And, and he began to lead the way. And then you see about temple servants and Levites helping with various sections. And there were people from out of town in the city of Jericho that came alongside and began to help with some of the building. And there were rulers and government officials that began. And there were skilled laborers and individuals like Zakur, the son of Imri. And there were different tribes in different parts of the area. And there were families all working together. To rebuild the walls. I love the family aspect. Nehemiah 3.12 highlights Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. With the help of his daughters. Don't you love that? Come on, where's all the ladies in the house? Come on, all the daughters in the house. We can be a part of this too, right? It's not just a man thing. <laughs> Give me some daughters to help, right? Men and women, young and old, rich and poor, nobles and servants, priests and laity, everybody doing their part. Reminds me uh, uh, of, of when Paul talks about unity within the body of Christ. When he talks about that unity in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and the body all coming together and every person, every piece being valuable and every person doing their part, diversity and yet unity. This is how the work gets done. This is how the advancement is made. This is how everybody starts to do their part by taking this section and I'll do this and I'll do that and everybody doing their part. They were not all expected to complete the entire project, but they were expected to do their part. You know, I am so grateful for the huge team of volunteers that helped make this church go. I get to stand up here on Sunday mornings and I get a title of lead pastor, but I've got to be honest with you. The engine that drives this church is our volunteers. It is the people. Yeah, yeah. It's people like some of you that sacrifice and are willing to be put on the schedule to be in a nursery on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night so that young moms and dads can worship without distraction. 
It's, it's people like you that are willing to volunteer in our preschool and our kids' ministry and come alongside Pastor Katie and our kids' ministry to disciple the next generation and say, you know what, I'll make a sacrifice and I, I'll give of my time to be a part of that team to disciple the next generation. It's some of you youth leaders that show up on Wednesday nights and are there to help Pastor Sam and be there on New Year's Eve for an all-nighter even though you know you'll pay for it for days. Right? It, it's our greeters and our co- How many of you love the coffee? Anybody love coffee? Come on, it's our greeters smiling at you when you walk in the door, and it's the people that are making coffee. These are the people that are doing, these are the folks that are doing. It's, it's the folks on our worship team that get up here every Sunday morning to lead us in worship. It's, it's, it takes an army of people, both volunteers and our staff, and I'm telling you what, I am super grateful because without this team, this engine would not run. Those of you watching online, you need to be grateful for our folks that are here every single week making sure that we have an online ministry so that you can be a part of what's happening in our church and those who make sure the computer and everything. Come on. They're hardly ever seen. In fact, I only see the tops of their heads over the computers from right here. But yet what they do is valuable. What they do is valuable. Every person using their gifts and doing their part. It takes all of us. It takes an army. And that's what we see in order to advance, in order to advance, in order, order to make a difference. In her book, Resonate, Nancy Duarte tells a following story. She said, President Kennedy gave a speech declaring the end of, of, at the end of the decade that the United States would send a man to the moon, land him on the moon, and bring him home safely. And in wanting the support of the entire nation as a part of his speech, this is what he said. In a very real sense, it will not be one man going to the moon. It will be the entire nation, for all of us must work to put him there. I love that. Well, I put it to the test. Near the end of the 1960s, he happened to be at NASA, and he was there at the headquarters, and he stopped a man who had a mop in his hand, and he said to the man, what do you do? And this is the man's response. The janitor looked at him, and he said, I'm putting the first man on the moon, sir. I'm putting the first man on the moon, sir. He could have said, I clean the bathrooms, or I clean the floors, or I clean the toilets, or I empty the trash. He could have said, well, I'm, I'm just the janitor. But he didn't see himself as just the janitor, but he saw himself as part of the mission. Part of the mission to be able to fulfill what the president had said. We're going to put a man on the moon, and we're going to bring him back safely. And he said, I've got a mop in my hand, but I'm doing my part to make sure that happens. Friends, that's what we need. People who are willing to step up in whatever capacity possible and say, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do my part. Sometimes that takes place right in your home. We take a look at the nation. We took a look and we say, oh, our nation, our nation, our nation, our nation. You know what? We might not be able to fix our nation, but you know what? You are responsible for your home. You are responsible for the discipleship that takes place in your home. You are responsible for you and your choices right in your home. In in, in Nehemiah 3.23, this is what it says. Some of them began right there in their homes, by their homes. It says this, beyond them, Benjamin and Hasub made repairs in front of their house. And next to them, Azariah, son of Masiah, I don't know, the son of Ananiah. 
made repairs beside his house, beside his house, near his house, near his house. Sometimes it just begins right there in our home, with our children, with our families, with our spouse, in your home. As for me and my house, Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Whatever the rebuilding work is, one brick at a time, it takes the support of a community. It takes the support of a community. Why? Because in chapter 4, what we see next is opposition. Opposition. This is the same old cast of characters. This was nothing new. These were the folks that we saw at the end of Nehemiah chapter 2. These were the folks that acted up <clears throat> when they started the to build and rebuild the first time around. There's always opposition to the work that the Lord wants to do. Whether that's in your life and God is calling you to, to pick up some of the pieces in your life because you just noticed there are some things falling apart in your personal life or whether it's in your marriage or whether it's in your family and you're standing there. When you begin the work of trying to rebuild, you can expect opposition from the enemy. The enemy does not want to see God's work be built in your life. The enemy doesn't want to see it. And what happens when the enemy starts to attack? We can experience discouragement. Anybody ever been discouraged? Maybe you've walked in here today and you're discouraged. The people who had begun the work in Nehemiah chapter 4 begin to get discouraged. They begin to get discouraged. Let's take a look at it. Four common causes of discouragement that we see. And we're going to look at one verse for most of them here. One verse for most of them, and that is Nehemiah 4.10. And the first, the first cause of discouragement is fatigue. Fatigue. If your partner's asleep already, you're next to you, wake him up. The most common cause of discouragement is fatigue. Halfway through the project, this is what happens, verse 10. Then the people of Judah began to complain, the workers are getting tired. How many of you know that, it, that, that, that when you're tired, everything's a big deal? <laughs> right? When you're tired, everything's a big deal. Now, sometimes we can't help it. Sometimes there are just seasons and periods of our life where it just seems like we get tired. But I'm going to tell you that when you are tired, you, you are much more, you are easily, more easily prone to discouragement. Discouragement. Our, our defenses get lower and things look bleaker. It's tough to, to, to be optimistic when you're tired. I know that to be true for myself personally. I, I, I sometimes will, will take more on in my schedule than what I can possibly handle. It's a weakness of mine. And when I am tired, I can get discouraged a whole lot easier. When I get tired, it, it just, it, it makes it much more difficult to press through when, 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 when there's not that rest. And, and I don't know about you, I don't think I'm alone in this, Right? I don't think I'm alone. If you find yourself discouraged, ask yourself, what does my schedule look like? Because sometimes the schedule uh, allows us to feel like we're just not getting anywhere, we're not getting anything done, and we just, uh, we just find ourselves discouraged. It, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem. Sometimes we say yes to more commitments or we feel the pressure from the commitments we made than our physical bodies, than our emotional health, our physical health, our mental health can, can possibly handle. And when we get tired, we get discouraged and we become weary. 
And how do I know that they were discouraged? Well, look what it says, right? Then the people of Judah began to do what? They began to complain. They began to complain. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if you find yourself complaining a lot, there, there's a good chance that that might, be, that might be a part of or tied to some type of discouragement. And when I get tired, I'm easily I'm more open to complaining about things. Fatigue. Secondly, frustration. Look at the next part of this verse. There is so much rubble to be moved. My goodness, the work is overwhelming. I just don't see how it's possibly going to get done. Anybody ever felt like that before? I just don't know. You get started in something, I'm going to do this project. We're all excited about it. All right, we're going to rebuild. All right, the Lord spoke to me. I said yes a couple of weeks ago. I said, I'm willing, Lord. I'm willing, Lord. And I'm getting into it. And I'm starting. And I'm getting myself back together again. Here I am. All right, we're going to do this. And then you get into it and you go, oh my goodness, this is a lot of work. <laughs> this is overwhelming. <laughs> ah, this is too much. Right? I felt like God said to do this. I'm going to prepare. Oh, I didn't realize all the work that's involved. I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. And before you know it, you're just frustrated because you just pick one rock up and you look around. My goodness, there's a whole lot of rocks around here that need to be picked up. I didn't realize there was all of this. I thought this, I thought it would be easier, right? I thought it would be easier. Anybody ever felt like that before, right? Frustration. There are times where we, where we do that, and what happens is when we get our eyes focused on the rubble, that's what they did, there's so much rubble to be moved, their eyes got focused on the rubble, and when your eyes are focused on, your, on the rubble, they're no longer focused on the vision. They're no longer focused on the vision. It's no longer focused on the future. It's no longer focused on what got us excited in the first place. Now our eyes are on the rubble. Too much our eyes get on the rubble and we get frustrated and we go, oh, there's just too much. I just don't, I just don't know how I'm going to be able to do this. And rather than being able to see the progress we're making, we get caught up in all of the work that's yet to be done. Frustration. Vision is blocked. Number three is failure. The third complaint of Nehemiah's work crew, they simply, they simply felt like they were never going to get it done. Like this was just not going to happen and they were going to fail. Like partway through, they were like, I, this is just, we're just not going to be able to do it. Look at verse 10. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. We're just never going to be able to do this. We're never going to be able to do it. Have you ever felt like a failure before? You tried something, you thought it would be easier, things started piling up, and you just felt like giving up, and you just thought, you know what, what's the use in trying? Because I'm not going to succeed at this anyway. What's the, what, what, why should I try to push forward? Because I take one step forward, and it seems like I'm taking two steps back, I'm not making any progress, and I feel like a failure. Right? That causes discouragement. And, and that failure, that failure thinking starts in our minds. It really is a mental thing. Before anything else, it's a mental thing. When you think, when you think you're going to fail, you, it begins with a thought, I think I'm going to fail. You haven't even failed. They haven't failed yet. They're still putting the, the, the wall together, but they're like, ah, I'm so frustrated. I'm so tired. There's so much. And we're just, ne we're going to fail. We're never going to get this done. We're just, we're just going to fail. The Browns will never win a Super Bowl. <laughs> There's always next year, right? I'm putting that on a shirt. 
That's the shirt. There's always next year, right? Oh, I had to bring the Browns into it, didn't I? Because when you're talking about feeling hopeless, that's it, right? Thank God it's not the Browns. Man, some of you feel that way. You, you, you're tired of being in debt. You're tired. You're just tired of being in debt. You're tired of just financially just not, not, not making it. And so you start, man, you started that plan, and I'm just going to, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. And then all of a sudden, something happens. And man, all of a sudden, you know, the car breaks down or a bill you didn't expect comes rolling in or something. And you're like, ah, oh, we're just never going to be able to do this. Right? But God wants you financially free. God wants you financially free. He does. And there are, there are, there are ways. And so you're trying to build one, one bill at a time, one payment at a time. And it just seems overwhelming. And oh, I'm just, I don't know. Don't give up. Discouragement can set in. Fear is the final one. Fear. In Nehemiah's case, they were afraid of their neighboring enemies who had started to make threats. They were, they were making threats. And, and, and so the enemy began to make these threats. So there was very real fear. And I want to just highlight some of, the, some of the causes to that fear that they were experiencing. And oftentimes, we experience the same causes that trigger fear in our lives. So, so again, they were tired, fatigued. They were experiencing frustration. They were feeling like a failure. And fear began to set in. Why? Because of one, ridicule. Let's go back to Nehemiah 4.1. We kind of skipped over that. But that kind of leads into why they were feeling the way they were feeling. Here it is. Verse 1. Sanballat was very angry when he learned we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, What is this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they are doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day? By just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? They don't even have great building materials. And who do they think they are? You know, oftentimes the discouragement and the fear we, we, we experience comes from the negative voices. Negative voices. Sometimes are the voices inside. Of our own, our own past, maybe your own past failures, maybe your own past mistakes may start to speak to you and the enemy begins to use those kinds of things to say, you tried that once before and you'll never get there again. What, who are you to think you can make your life out of something? Who do you think God wants you to start a ministry? Don't you know your past? Don't you know what you've done? Don't you know where you're at? You'll never make it. Sometimes those voices come from people in our lives that think they have our best interest in mind. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, why are you trying that church thing? You really think Jesus is going to make your life better? You really think you're going to be a better person because of Jesus? Who are you to try that? Oh my, do you really think? Do you really think that you're going to be able to do that? Who do you think you are? Negative, 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 negative. Ne Part of that is also not just ridicule, but we see criticism. Verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite who was standing beside him remarked, that stone would collapse even if a fox walked across on the top of it. You're not even doing a good job. Who do you? You're not a contractor. You don't know what you're doing. You put those stones up there, but they're not going to last. Even a little fox will jump right up on that wall, and it's all going to come crashing down. You just, ah. 
How many know, one of, the, one of the things that can discourage us the most is criticism. Criticism. And, and it, it sticks in our spirit more than praise. You can receive a lot of praise and one criticism, and all of a sudden, that's what your mind gets fixed on, is that criticism, and it leads you to discouragement and fear. And then threats. There were, there were threats. Verse 11 while you were working before you realize it, this is what, what they were saying. While you're working before you realize it, we'll swoop down on you and kill you and end your work. Nehemiah 4.8, before then, they all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. There are times where there are things that threaten. They threaten the stability of your life. They, 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 they threaten what God is wanting to do. In, in you. They, there are things that will threaten your family. There are things that will threaten your home, threaten your marriage. There, there, there are threats to the kingdom of God. There are threats to, to his church and the work of the ministry. They come. They come, and it, it creates real fear, and it can, it can bring discouragement. Interesting enough, the, the builders who lived closest to the enemy were the ones who got discouraged first. They were the ones who, who wanted to give up. Be careful who you're hanging out with and who you're letting in your circle. Like, we're, we are called to reach out, but be careful who you allow to be closest to you. Who, who's in your circle? Who are you letting close to you? Because the people you let close to you will either encourage you or discourage you in the things that God is wanting to do in your life. Friends, some of you, some of you are standing in the midst of some brokenness. There's personal brokenness. There's family brokenness. There, there, there's brokenness all around. Some of you are standing in the midst of brokenness, and you've been trying to, to rebuild and, and, and trying to do what God is asking you to do, but you've walked in here this morning discouraged. You, you've walked in here tired. Some of you are frustrated. Some of you are afraid. You don't know what the future is going to hold. And you just, you don't know if you can pick up the pieces. Friends, I want to encourage you today that, that not to give up. Not to give up. Let's see how Nehemiah responded to the discouragement. We see this in chapter 4. How did Nehemiah respond <clears throat> to the discouragement? Well, first, Nehemiah prayed. Nehemiah prayed. Nehemiah 4.4, hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads and give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. <laughs> Nehemiah's not pulling any punches here. <laughs> right? He's not pulling any punches here. What's he doing? He's taking his frustration. He, he's taking all of that and he's turning it over to the Lord. And he's saying, God, here it is. I'm turning it over to you in prayer. Father, all of my fear that I have, all of the frustration that I have, all of the feelings of failure that I have, all of the negative voices, all of the negative things, all the rubble that is piled up in front, all the things that are happening. You know what, Lord? I'm turning it over to you. I can't do it. On my own, I can't do it. Let me tell you something. On your own, you can't do it. And this wasn't just, this wasn't just like a one-time thing. Nehemiah, this is a pattern in Nehemiah's life. This is a pattern. What happened when his brother came and told him in the first place that the walls were broken down? What was Nehemiah's response? Prayer and fasting, right? Prayer and fasting. 
And then, then when, when, when Nehemiah, uh, the king, noticed his face was downcast and he realized he had an opportunity, what was he going to do? What did Nehemiah do? Prayed. Threw up a prayer. Come on, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. He prayed. He threw up a prayer. And then when Nehemiah got there in Nehemiah chapter 2, and he's telling his story, and he's inspiring the people, and all of a sudden, the first round of opposition at the end of chapter 2 began to come. What did Nehemiah do? Prayed. You're going to see a pattern in the book of Nehemiah over and over and over that prayer was a part of Nehemiah's life. And if you are going to, to, to overcome discouragement as you begin to rebuild in the areas that God is moving in your heart to rebuild, whether it's your personal spiritual life or whether it's in your home or your family or your marriage or a ministry that God has put on your heart to do in this church or this community, you've got to bathe it in prayer. Prayer has to be a part because prayer is the first step of overcoming discouragement. It's prayer. We've got to understand the value of prayer. And here's what happens. When you get tired and you get fatigued and you get frustrated and you get overwhelmed and you start to feel as if you're not going to be able to push through, let me tell you why prayer is so important. Because Jesus modeled that you and I need times where we pull back from the busyness and we pull back from what we're doing and we just spend time with Jesus. This is what Jesus modeled for us, right? Who had a ministry like Jesus, right? Healing the sick, miracles, casting out demons. Yet in the context of that, Luke 5, 15 and 16 says this. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him to be healed of their sicknesses. Crowds all around. We're talking Jesus ministry, man. People are getting healed and they're coming to hear the word. But verse 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. There is value to pulling back from even the ministry, even the good things, even though we're doing the work. Don't miss the importance of pulling back and spending time with Jesus. Pulling back and spending time with the Lord. There is something valuable about pulling back. Because what happens is you begin to tune in your father's voice. And your father's voice drowns out the voice of the naysayers. Drowns out the other voices. That's why prayer is so important. It's not just a one-way conversation, friends, but it's a time where you begin to listen and you listen to your father's voice as he encourages you and reminds you of his promises and reminds you of what he's called you to do. Second, Nehemiah, I'm gonna, I, I called it this, Nehemiah protected. Nehemiah 4.13, I'll explain what I mean. Look at this. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. Posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. Nehemiah looked for breaches in the wall. He looked for the places where there's the low places where the enemy could get in an attack. He looked for the open places and the breaches in the wall. And it was there that Nehemiah began to put protection. It was there that Nehemiah began to shore up and began to, to put protection. Now, how does that apply to us? Because, friends, there are weak areas in your life. You and I know it. 
There are weak areas in our life. There are things in our life that we know, and we have got to be able to use wisdom for the proper protection. Yes, Nehemiah prayed, but then Nehemiah said, there are some areas where there's some gaps, where there's some breaches, where there's some low areas, and we've got to protect those areas so that the enemy can't get in and disrupt the work that God is doing. There is something valuable about making sure that we're protecting those areas, whether it's the vulnerabilities that that can come into your marriage when you're not guarding your character and your integrity and your heart. When you're tired and you want to give in to temptation, you've got to put some boundaries of protection around you. I don't know the validity, but I've heard stories of Billy Graham traveling, and he would literally go in and remove the TVs and everything out of his hotel room, and he would never travel by himself, but always with a companion, because he did not want to open himself up to temptation. What was he doing? Practical ways of protecting his heart and his life and the integrity of his ministry. And friends, you've got to do that. You've got to protect your heart. You've got to protect your marriage. You've got to protect your home. You've got to look for the weakness areas and you've got to put some boundaries and protection and sometimes that may mean boundaries with some unhealthy people in your life I'm not saying you don't love those people but you also don't have to go and eat pizza with those people I think you know what I'm talking about There are some of you, you you get started with the Lord and then you keep falling back into temptation because of the people you hang out with and you let into your life. And I know those people need Jesus, but you just might not be the one to give them Jesus right now because you can't be around them without falling into sin and temptation. There are some of you that have addiction issues when it comes to your computer or your phone. And you need to humble yourself and grab an accountability partner or grab some filtering software like Covenant Eyes or accountability software. If you want to get free, practically, you need to put in the, 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 the guards in order to allow yourself to be free. You, you've got to put some protection in place. You, you've got to get some accountability in your life. There, there are some of you that need to limit your schedule. This is me. Seriously, I'm working real hard at coming back from sabbatical and I'm trying really hard to guard my Sabbath and to try to, I'm not successful all the time. I'm still working every day, but you got to guard it because when you live your life to the limits, you live, you, you don't have room for the Lord and you don't have room for the Holy Spirit and you don't have, you, you, you get yourself tired and discouraged and it impacts your emotional and spiritual health. Mm, there's some good stuff there. Nobody wants to hear. That's okay. Thirdly, Nehemiah partnered. You need help. This is part of cooperation, 16 and 17. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and arms, armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. They stood guard, and they said, we need help. And some of us are going to do the work, and some of us are going to stand guard and protection. We're going to cooperate together, but we're going to keep getting this thing done. In order for you and your life to continue to rebuild... Whether it's personally in your life, you might need a coach, you might need a mentor, you might need an encouraging friend who say, let's do this Bible study together. You know what? Let's get on you version and let's share and let's do this Bible plan together so that I can stay on track. You know what I need? I need someone to partner with me and encourage me and help me. 
part of that partnership was, was also, if you continue to read, and I'm not reading all the way down through, but when Nehemiah said, listen, I'm going to have the person with the warning trumpet with me, and if the enemy starts to attack, then to blow the trumpet, and wherever we are with the trumpet, everybody needs to rally to that spot to fight against the enemy. Sometimes you need somebody with a trumpet in your life that when they see you starting to get off track, they start blowing the warning trumpet, and they catch you, and they say, the enemy's coming after you. Come on, come on, come on. Everybody rally together, and let's encourage him. Let's lift them up. Let's encourage them. Mm. Number four, they pressed on. Nehemiah 4.21, so we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. Listen, as I mentioned last week, the work of rebuilding takes determination takes determination. So we continued. So we continued the work. So we continued the work. Nehemiah, there are people, they're complaining. They're tired. They're frustrated. They're discouraged. They're overwhelmed by all of the rubbish and all the work. They feel like failures and the enemy is threatening to attack. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up some protection. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to partner together. And fourthly, here's what we're going to do. You know what? We're going to continue in the work. Let's continue in the work. Don't stop. Let's continue in the work. Don't give up. Let's continue in the work. Let's press on. Look, from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. You know what that is? I woke up in the morning and I made the choice to keep going. Until the stars went down. This morning I got up. God gave me breath in my lungs. Guess what? Today I'm going to do what I need to do today. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow, but today I'm going to do the things I need to do today. Today I'm going to pick up another stone and put it on the wall. Today I'm going to pick up another brick. Today I'm going to help with another gate. Today I'm going to do, I'm going to make a choice today. I'm going to make a choice today that I know will benefit and impact something in the future. Some of you today, you want certain things to happen in your future, but you aren't making the right choices today today. You're not making the right choices today. The choices that are going to get you to where you want to be. Oh, I want to be debt free. Then guess what? Today you've got to say, I'm not going to stop and get that coffee. I don't need from that six bucks place. Today I'm deciding that I'm not going to go on Amazon and make one more purchase. I'm not going to Walmart or Target or any of, I, I don't need it. I don't, I don't have to have it. Today I'm going to make the choice to stay in my budget. We, we often say, well, it's the, oh, that car payment. Oh, if that, that car, that, that thing didn't come in, that, you know, that, 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 that my car didn't break down. Oh, then, I, then I'd be debt free. Can I tell you something? Those kind of things happen. But I can tell you that to get debt free, it's the daily discipline. It's the daily discipline. How do I know that? Because I've lived that. It's the daily discipline. I can help you with that. There's the daily discipline. You've got to make the right choices today to get you to where you want to be tomorrow. They wanted the walls to be complete and built. It meant that every day they had to get up and they had to press on and they had to make the right choices for today. Some of you need to make the right choices today to press on. At the first light, when the sun comes up, you stop and you say, okay, God, I need you today. Today I need you and I got to make the right choices today. But what if I fail tomorrow? No matter. 
We're not talking about tomorrow. You make the right choices today and you start stacking good choices. And as you start stacking those right choices and making those decisions and keep doing those things that you need to do, you will look back in three to four, five, six months when you go, wow, how did I get here? Because you made the right choices today. Because you made the right choices today. Because you started to do the right habits today. The right disciplines today. I'm preaching. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Worship team, will you come? Friends, let me ask you, are you discouraged today? Some of you got really excited and you know, we start the, the year off. We're going to do this. I'm going to do this is the way it's going to go. And already by the end of January, you're discouraged. Some of you started out the year discouraged. How, how, how do we begin to move forward? How do we begin to move forward? Some of you are tired. Some of you are frustrated today. Some of you are feeling like a failure already. Some of you are struggling with fear this morning. Oh, friends, I want to encourage you. Press on, press on, press on and don't give up. Press on and don't give up. Some of you need to begin with prayer. You need to begin to, to hear the voice of your father. You need to begin to pray and press in and say, okay, God, here's what I'm feeling. Here's the discouragement. Here's the rubble. Here's what seems overwhelming. Here it is. God, I'm just, I'm just bringing it to you. I'm bringing my discouragement to you. I'm bringing my fatigue to you. I'm bringing my frustration to you. Lord, I'm bringing it to you. Some of you, there's some areas in your life and you got to do some practical things to start protecting, to start protecting your life, protecting your home, protecting your family. There's some things you know you need to put in place. Nobody can do that. You can pray all you want, but if the Holy Spirit is saying you need to put this up, this block in your life, you need to get this accountability in your life. You need to be honest and open and share this. If you don't do it, it won't happen. That's a part of your responsibility. You pray and then you obey. You pray and then you obey. And then some of you need to, you need to stop trying to do this alone. Join a life group. Ask, ask a fellow Christian brother or sister. If you're a woman, find a Christian sister. If you're a man, find a Christian brother. If you're a man, don't find a Christian sister. And if you're a sister, don't find a Christian brother, okay? Especially if you're married. All right, that's not protecting. Get somebody, open up, share, and say, I need you to do life with me. Will you encourage me? Will you walk with me? Will you help me so that every day we can pick up another rock? Every day we can pick up another rock. Every day we can make another choice. Every day we can begin to rebuild. And you will look back and you will see that God has done amazing things in your life. Let's bow our heads. If you're discouraged today, I want to pray for you. Will you slip up your hand? Pastor, I'm discouraged today. I'm discouraged today. It's okay. This is where it begins. I want to pray with you. We're going to begin with prayer. Just raise up your hand. I'm discouraged. I'm struggling with discouragement. I'm struggling with discouragement. Jesus, right now, I just pray a wind of your encouragement right now. Lord, I just pray you'd begin to just, you'd begin just to surround these folks with their hands raised. God, you begin to love them. You begin to hug them. You begin to encourage them. I pray that you just begin to remove the rubble so they get their eyes off the rubble and get their eyes on you. They get their eyes off the mess and start getting their eyes on the one who is the one who enables us to clean up the mess, the one who cleans up the mess in our lives, the one who gives us the strength to 
to make the right choices and allows us to have the faith to be able to obey. Lord, we put our eyes on you today. We put our eyes on you today. We put our eyes on you today, Jesus. Oh, Lord, we lift up our eyes today. We lift up our eyes today. Oh, I pray encouragement. I pray encouragement. I pray encouragement. Silence the voices of the enemy that would want to discourage, that would want to discourage, that would want to discourage. Just, just silence those voices of criticism in Jesus' name. Silence the accuser in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for the determination to press on in you. Press on in you. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.